the path doesn't have to be straight. We have enough information that we can value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome to the We Get Real AF podcast. If the future of wearable intuitive technology excites you, we have a treat for you today. We're thrilled to introduce Dr. Ashley Tuon, Vice President of Medical Devices for Mojo Vision Inc. and a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. Now, if these names sound familiar to you, it's probably due to a really exciting and unexpected announcement made by MojoVision early this year regarding research and development of the world's first true AR smart contact lens, which we'll touch on a bit later. But first, Ashley, we'd love for you to tell us about who you are and what you do. Um, I would call myself a clinician scientist. I am a optometrist, as you mentioned, and I'm also a vision scientist. Uh, so what I'm trying to do here is to um, bring a very exciting technology, a augmented reality contact lens, into a viable product that's safe and effective to benefit a spectrum of population to consumer. Ashley, we'd love to learn how you decided to get into the field of optometry and then what triggered you to want to create a contact lens that has augmented reality enhancements. Sure. Um, how I get into optometry, I need to go back a little farther than um, college. So when I was in middle school, high school, uh, when my father was at his career prime, he noticed that his vision deteriorated quickly. So after a few um, expert opinions at Mayo Clinic, they told him that he has this rare um, pan-retinal degeneration disease that would gradually take away his central vision, his peripheral vision, and his night vision. So when he find out, none of the doctor could uh, tell him how long he will have his remaining vision when he's going to go totally blind. That was pretty shocking for him and to the rest of the uh, family. So um, I saw him how he struggled to balance his, uh, or to keep his um, personal identity, his professional identity, how to struggle make people see him as him, not a person with a disabled vision, visual, visual impairment, how he keep his sense of dignity. And I get to see that um, as being family member. So it had a profound impact on me. We were lucky that uh, he was able to work until in his 60s, and he had a, quite a bit of achievement after he had visual impairment. And I, so because of that, I was able to continue my professional study, and I wanted to be an optometrist. I felt in that field, I can really understand vision and to learn that as a profession, what can we do to maximize people's vision? So that's how I get into optometry school. Um, I went to the Ohio State, and they have a really strong optometry program. Therefore, that's how I started. 
And as I went through school and practice optometry, I realized that there's, again, still very limited thing that we can do for visual impairment um, because of lack of funding. And also, it's a small population. Um, I went back to graduate school, get my vision science degree, just to really focusing on this area, get to understand the genetic of it, the genetic side of it, uh, epidemiological side of it, optic side of it, all of that. That's how I begin my research path. What about augmented reality? Do you remember the point at which you thought, huh, augmented reality could be a real solution here when paired with what you already knew from optometry science? Yeah, that's right. So um, I end up in the ophthalmic industry, medical device industry for a while. I went through to, uh, different parts of uh, ophthalmic medical devices that, that provide different help to vision. And then one day I ran into the founders of Mojo Vision. They say that they have this idea. They wanted to put augmented reality into contact lens and then they wanted to see if I can help. So that was really exciting. From many perspectives, um, at that point, I already delivered three content lens platforms. So I'm very experienced um, developing content lenses and bring that to market. And uh, a smart content lens can do a lot of things. A smart content lens means that you can put electronic in the content lenses. Once the electronic has, uh, the, once the content lens has electronic in there, provides power, and you can transmit data, there's so much you can do. This company wanted to put augmented reality, a, the world's smallest projector into the lens. That's a very cool uh, concept. And for me, I linked that with what do I know about low vision population. I feel this is a perfect technology solution for visually impaired population. The reason is um, the visually impaired population they have been relying on um, optical aids and they're mostly limited at home. Once they get out of the house, they don't have a controlled environment and the portable devices to help them navigate their, um, outside. From crossing the street or reading a street sign or reading um, price tag in convenience stores. So if they need to use a optical aid, it usually makes them look really odd. There's some head-mounted device that's meant to help them, but it's heavy, it's bulky, and uh, battery life is limited, and just make people look strange. People with visual disability, they don't want to look stand out. It's, um, they want people to treat them normally, and they don't want to be feeling vulnerable. So a contact lens that provides augmented reality can solve those issues. It can let them hands-free, heads up, and they can feel like themselves. Not to mention the augmented reality can really enhance the image that they need to see. Um, the image enhancement we can provide, that included you can enhance the contrast, you can provide edge detection so then they can see the curve a lot easier. They can see the ramp a lot easier. So they don't. They won't need to worry about tripping over certain subjects, objects on the road. Um, they can see the doorway easily, and that um, it can also provide social interaction that help them for 
recognizing faces easier, and even to see your expression better. That's something that low vision patients, because of their reduced contrast sensitivity, um, they typically have a hard time seeing expressions. So I was talking to one of the, my subjects using our prototype the other day. He put on the prototype, and he said, Oh my God, Ashley, you're smiling. And he hasn't seen facial expression for years. So that was really exciting for him. You know, imagine that kind of social uh, interaction that you can bring just have developing a product for them. Did you have any um, interaction with augmented reality prior to your conversations with Mojo Vision? Um, or was it within those conversations that you started exploring and really seeing the value uh, for this use case? Well, I know what is augmented reality from gaming's perspective. Um, by joining the company, I evaluated the function. And um, this content lens is going to be a medical device, right? Um, you're having a piece of lens that in your eyes, that's gonna be by definition, it's, it's gonna be um, overseen by medical device field, FDA. So we need to think about what is the safety uh, impact to the wearer and then what is the medical benefit. So I look at it and then I connect the dots. I realize that the augmented reality is perfect for low vision population. And um, we can really bring a difference for them. So here we are. We decided that um, we are going to serve this population first. We talked to FDA. They granted us the breakthrough device designation that allowed us to talk to FDA closely so we can explore um, how can we prove this product is, being, is safe for the wearer and how can we benefit the low vision patient. What are the specific uh, eye diseases that an augmented reality contact lens could help? I, I'm not tremendously familiar with eye diseases, but I know, for example, my mother-in-law has macular degeneration. I know that there are other retinal diseases. There's glaucoma. There's so many different diseases. Could an augmented reality contact lens potentially help all of those kinds of situations or only certain ones? Or even to piggyback on that, Sue, even the um, uh, people that are colorblind, because I've seen, you know, the actual glasses, the chroma something glasses that allow people to see color for the first time. So I'm, I'm with you. Like what other uh, eye diseases can it aid in? Sure. The uh, visual impaired population is like a garden variety. They have impaired vision but. Uh, the definition is their best corrected vision is um, 2070 or worse, or the peripheral vision is 220 degree or less. These are considered visually impaired, low vision population. And the root cause of it could be many. Macular degeneration is really common in elderly, but there's also young people that they have congenital macular degeneration. For them, they have decreased contrast sensitivity and central vision. There's population like glaucoma, um, our retinitis pigmentosa. They, because of their disease, they lose their peripheral vision gradually. And then they also have night vision issue on top of their contrast sensitivity reduction. Our product can um, address both issues. We can address central vision loss issue 
we can inc increase the contrast sensitivity and magnify the image for them. We can also address peripheral vision loss issue because we can um, zoom out the image for the people with visual field reduction so they can spot check their surrounding from time to time. That address the people with glaucoma and retinitis pigmentosa. Our device, we also wanted to provide night vision for this population as well. So um, I would say that for majority of the uh, visual impairment, we can help them to a certain degree, as long as they still have usable functional vision. If a person has no light perception, then our device will not be able to help them. Interesting. What does the development, since you're in the R&D phase right now with this product, what does development look like? What is your day-to-day? -day? What is the day-to-day -day of your team? And um, how do you test how far you're coming along with patients, potential patients? Uh, yes, yeah, so we are in our R&D phase right now. Uh, early on, um, we have a lot of engineers working in the company. They are, they are developing the world's smallest uh, micro LEDs. They are writing ASIC chip that providing the brain part, the computer part of the contact lens. Um, they are doing eye tracking. There's so many exciting uh, technology that we are inventing. And as for me, I came in, I, uh, I set up the regulatory strategy. I bring in the content lens know-how from manufacturing to R&D. Um, we address some really cool issue of oxygenation. How do we make this content lens that can, uh, will not stop oxygen from going through, the, going through the lens? We have electronic in there. And that's the hardest thing when people try to make a smart contact lens. That's when you put electronic in there, oxygen is being blocked. Then your cornea cannot breathe. And we figured that out. So we got all that to figure it out. And then we also get fitting. So how do we fit this contact lens? And therefore, the doctor can give a perfectly well-fit contact lens, prescribe that to their patient, make sure their eyes will be protected, will be, the, the lens wear will be comfortable, and um, they will have um, good compliance, et cetera. So from the clinical research point of view, I address fitting, I address contact lens design, um, and also evaluation of uh, the contact lens performance. When we put the electronic in there and the projector in there, are they behaving what we anticipate that it will behave? Um, how can we make it better? I, we, we get to investigate, evaluate those performance, provide feedback to the engineer so that they can make changes. It boggles my mind that you can put electronics and a projector in a contact lens. I'm envisioning a very Thick contact lens. <laughs> <laughs> it, what is it? Like when I was a little girl, I wore hard contact lenses, which was truly a rigid, I think they called it rigid gas permeable. It was like a little hard disc. And nowadays people wear more like soft lenses that are more rubbery. What's the what's the rigidity of this lens? Is it more like a hard lens? Yes, um, it's rigid permeable material, but this is called a scleral lens. So to the white part of your eye, um, that's the whiteness come from your conjunctiva that covers it. But behind the conjunctiva is your sclera. 
This lens is called scleral lens because it lands on the white part of your eye, not on your cornea. Cornea has a lot of nerve ending, so when you put that small GP lens on your eye, we call it corneal GP nowadays. Corneal GP, when you first put it on, you it takes a while to adapt to it because it's hard, and your eye, the, your cornea is so sensitive to that. But when the lens is landing on your sclera, you don't have that much lens uh, nerve ending. It's like your hand when you put something on, you know it's there, but it doesn't hurt. A scleral lens, when you put it on, is quite actually quite comfortable, and it's stable. It's very important for us to have a comfortable, stable lens because you don't want the projector to move every time you blink, right? So um, that's why we have scleral lens. The scleral lens provides the rigidity, the stability, and then it spared the cornea. So you, your cornea is based behind a very moist tear or solution. This is so fascinating and just, it's exciting and just cool. I mean, you have a very cool job, <laughs> Ashley. Indeed. Explain the concept of um, invisible computing, because I know that's a very strong mission for Mojo Vision. Um, and I know that your um, first few phases of this product is for the, um, the you know, consumers that have potential eye disabilities or um, uh, uh, I would say loss of vision. Um, but eventually I know that the goal is for it to be, um, you know, used on a broader audience for everyday life and to ease their um, business use, uh, personal use, et cetera. So anybody um, can wear this product. So the invisible computing, what is that and what does that mean? Sure. Well, we call it invisible computing because of the projector itself is invisible. The projector is so small, for the person that's wearing it, you do not see the obscuration. For the people that are looking at you, they do not see the obscuration either. What we try to do is we wanted to provide information, critical information for you on demand. So when you need it, the information will show up in front of your eyes. And when you don't need it, it will disappear. That's the whole concept. We will provide you delivered critical information, but it will not interrupt your daily activity. Can you explain what you mean by critical information and how does the lens switch on and off that information? How do you tell it what's critical, what's not critical, interrupt me now or don't interrupt me now? How does sure. that work? The critical information is really user-defined. Um, for low-vision population, it could be the road sign, it could be the curb. They get to personally set what is important for them, the threshold that um, they need. Um, when, the, when they don't need it, we will have method to sense that. Again, this is in development, but we do have the concept of how to do it. Uh, we know the eye movement. Eye movement gives you a lot of information. Uh, whether you are focusing, you're looking at someone, you are having intense conversation, then the information probably should disappear. You know, the notification that you just get um, a reply from your neighbor, that does it, that can wait, right? So that will be, we will have uh, intelligence behind this process, whether it, um, the wearer wants interruption or not. When this device is worn by low vision patient, 
it has a certain criteria. But we looking forward, we think who will be potential um, early adapters in with this device. We are thinking about first responders. Imagine a fireman that they are fighting fire, and they need to know if the oxygen tank is going low. So that's critical information. By setup, then they the information will show up that saying your oxygen tank you have ten minutes left. So what you need to do is to get out as soon as you can. Once that information is delivered, it will disappear. So we see that it uh, it's really application dependent. What is critical information or when it should come out, when it should disappear, and it will be defined based on the use case. Hey everybody, Sam McLean here from Inphase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, inphase.biz. Thanks for listening. So there's this other technology that we hear about a lot, the Internet of Things and how um, different devices are connected. Um, would would this contact lens be considered part of the Internet of Things? Would it be potentially speaking to your other devices? Uh, it could be. There's a, a lot of possibility um, as we develop that we'll find out what is the best approach. And as it evolves, we want it to be more and more independent. One of the things that you mentioned, Ashley, that I, I think is really wonderful and something maybe we don't think about with low vision populations is the notion of nonverbal communication and how facial expression, I think, um, makes up like 55% or more than half of how humans communicate with each other. And so if somebody has really low vision, they have to deal with a certain amount of emotional isolation, probably along with that, because they can't pick up on those nonverbal cues, those facial expressions. So that that to me seems really um, groundbreaking and from almost a psychological health standpoint as well. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yes, um, mental health issue is important. Um, I do notice from my father that he can get pretty depressed because people misunderstood him because he didn't pick up those visual cues that he should and people find him rude. But he doesn't want to announce to people he has visual impairment, and he felt bad that he made people upset. So the social interaction issue is uh, is quite a bit of a hurdle for visually impaired population. How does your family feel about you being in such an innovative field in 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 the visual impairment um, arena? which obviously is something that your father struggled with, but they must be so proud to see you doing such uh, amazing things to forward the technology. Yes, I would say that my father is pretty proud. He wouldn't be able to um, benefit from it. So right now his vision is quite deteriorated. But um, the younger him, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, this device could have helped him really live a fulfilled life. So I'm hoping the new gen, this device will help people like him. Um, I help pe- younger visual impaired people get a job, keep a job, and have a more fulfilled social life. That's my goal. When you look back on yourself as a little girl, I, I, 
I don't know how old you were when your dad started to have his visual impairment, but you mentioned at the beginning of this interview that you, as a daughter, wanted to make a difference and wanted to help. What would you say to other young girls out there who might be listening to this podcast who have that same drive to help with a a health problem or something that they have experienced in their own family and their own life, what would your advice be to that, that young girl to keep going on that path that she actually can make an impact? Oh, wow. So I will first say that find your purpose, find your goal, right? You defined your goal, but you can't really plan your future. That's how I find out. When I joined, when I started optometry school, I was thinking to learn about the vision. But then um, as I go into graduate program, I realized I can't get a job doing what I wanted to do because low vision has so so little funding. Um, I have to be a professor. But I got married and stayed in the Bay Area because my husband is a technology guy. So that's where his job pays. So I got into industry. And my industry job, one after the other, they are not low vision related. But I got so I've learned so much as it goes that um, from R and D all the way to clinical to market launch, all of this knowledge that provided me today, I can help this company to have an amazing high tech low vision aid in a way. So I couldn't plan my future, but I took on opportunities that when I feel it's going to add a new dimension to my knowledge and is tangentially make me excited of what I will be doing. They are all helping people in different ways. So if some when you have your goal um, and then follow through your passion, you somehow will get there. At least this is my path that when I am focusing on, I want to make sure I learn new things, then it comes together. I think that's so important for so many people to hear, obviously, uh, young women and also women who are at a point that are ready to make a career change that don't think potentially that they can make an impact in the field of technology because of, you know, having different um, odds and ends that they've looked into and really been passionate about and then moved into something else, a different sector. But like you just said, all of your experiences have added value to your current role at Mojo Vision. And that's so so important for so many people to know and, and to hear. What are you most excited about regarding the potential and opportunities um, for development with this product? You know, when it comes out to market, um, as you start to roll out the different iterations of the product, what are you most excited about? Just to see that potential turn into reality to see that people actually, uh, we can make a difference to someone's life. We have, um, we have a relationship with a nonprofit organization that serves low vision population. It's called Vista Center. So we work with their, um, their team and their clients. They come as give us photo, focus group opinions just to talk to them of the potential and show them those prototypes to look at the expression on their face, it's so rewarding. I just can't wait to see that they're actually wearing our device and then come back to tell me that how they had a wonderful day because they feel comfortable walking this 
across the road. They feel comfortable going to visit their friends. It made a difference to their day. That's that's what I'm looking for today. And I know this content lens being a co- smart content lens platform, there's so many other uh, medical benefits it can provide in the future. We'll have other medical use cases that we can do easily after the low vision application. I'm also very looking forward to those to develop those use cases as well. That are what some does, of those. That I was, okay. Yeah, I was going to ask, what does the future of intuitive technology look like? <laughs> well, there's a lot of consumer application. And as, as I mentioned, the first responder application, um, hospitality application. But if you want me to focus on the medical device side, what I can see is this device um, potentially can very easily provide information um, about your mental focus. Are, are you fatigued or are you doing, um, concentrating well? Um, if you had a head injury, um, do you have issue? Is, is there a sign of concussion? That's something that we can do potentially uh, easily. On top of that, we can have a image sensor looking inside of your eye, look at the back of your eye, the retina. You can look at the blood vessel health. So you can monitor cardiovascular issues, chronic issues. You can, in theory, pick up signs of Alzheimer's, et cetera, et cetera. So the potential is just endless. That's amazing. It would be like wearing a kind of a health monitor in addition to uh, a visual aid. Do you see at a, a point in, in the future where maybe these cameras and this technology could just be embedded into our eyeballs? Or is that too futuristic? <laughs> it is possible. It's definitely possible. Wow. Yeah. that's Wow <laughs> just sums up this whole conversation because my mind is blown. And I just think it's so wonderful what you're doing. I mean, uh, t- to be able to help people with something as foundational and as essential as our vision uh, I can see where that would be rewarding, why that would be a motivator to get out of bed and go to work every day. Yes, I do feel privileged. So actually, um, we have this thing called the lightning round you do with all of our guests, and we ask a series of questions, and there are a few different exercises. So, um, Susie, you want to kick it off? Sure. For our first question, Ashley, finish this sentence. Women are resilient. What are three pieces of advice you'd give your younger self? I should learn, stand up and speak out what is important for me earlier mm. and, uh, than what I've learned. Um, I think as when I grow up, we were told as a girl that you should be quiet, you should be obedient. Um, when you speak up for yourself, you're selfish. You need to, it's okay to speak up for others, but not yourself. I've learned that sometimes you need to speak up at least what is important for you. Um, so, you know, it's okay. It's empowering. Yes. And people know what's important for you. They respect what you think. So that's one thing that I wish I would learn earlier. Um, and I said that don't worry about the future. You can't plan that far. As I mentioned earlier, I feel what's most important is just keep learning. Keep learning new things. Then you don't know when to, what you learned is going to help you to get over to your current situation. So I, I think that's important. Don't take on and 
don't worry about taking an untraditional path. That's what I've done most of my life right now. Every choices they are not very typical and as expected of me, but because I followed my gut, it turned out well. I am glad of what I get to do today. And also, one thing I think I find I lucked out. I did it right. But I think me, the young me, and other young women out there, that we should know early is to find a spouse that. Share the same value, and that would be supportive of what you want to do. Absolutely, I love those wonderful tips. Resilience, being present, finding your voice, uh, and finding the right life partner for sure. Those are amazing. And just, I love the the untraditional path, like mm-hmm. because we have so many, and I think that society pressures. Um, goodness, Hollywood and movies of what women should do and how women should go about their lives. I mean, are embedded in us at such a young age that I love you saying that, that not not going down a traditional path, that an untraditional path is totally okay and to embrace what comes from that. And you must have had parents who supported your thinking outside the box too, Ashley, uh, in order for you to to grow up with the confidence to see yourself blazing your own trail, you must have gotten some confidence at home growing up. Definitely. My father was a professor. So very early on, he's been telling me that um, I need to depend on myself and knowledge is everything. I need to study hard. Uh, don't ever think about marrying and uh, take it easy. I should be independent. He's, um, he told me when I was very young, even though in school, sometimes I hear from other teachers what I should be, but uh, from family that I got that confidence that um, what my parents told me, I know that I should ignore those noises. And that love of the pursuit of learning is wonderful. Okay, what is, and I might know the answer to this question, but we'll see if you answer the way I think you're going to. <laughs> what is your current favorite application of tech for good? I'm going to pick something that people are going to think is so generic. Why do you even mention that? I would say it's the internet. Um, I feel internet, well, you know, I'm dating myself here. (laughs) (laughs) Before the internet time, Um, internet really is the biggest equalizer of uh, knowledge, the essence of knowledge. I um I went to my previous job brought me to Africa because we had clinical site in Africa. It's just incredible that how people won't have a phone, but then they have a cell phone, and they can check things out and learn new things just going to, onto the internet and find things out. It's true. The whole of human knowledge in the palm of our hands. It's incredible. What issue do you most hope technology will help resolve in the future? I go back to the internet. Um, a lot of innovation is um, it's two two sided um, sort. So we have a lot of information that we can find easily, but we need to determine are they credible information or not. Mm-hmm, indeed. What what can we do to make sure that uh, we can look at the information and know this is credible or not credible? That's very important. That's something that you cannot teach a young kid to know um, easily. It, you have to go through experience, learning that, does this make sense? You need to ask questions. Um, you need to think about it. That takes a while. Uh, so I would 
love to see that in the near future there will be algorithms or something to help us filter good information from bad information. What tools do you use, and how do you be discerning when you're using the internet to to vet the sources that you're going to for your information? That's an excellent point. There's a lot of information, and it's not all great. An information fact checker. We don't need just for politics. We need it for all kinds of information. (laughs) Ashley, what inspires you? I'm a person that's um, focused on purpose. So I wanted to see what can we do to make life better for other people. So to make a difference, I think that will inspire me a lot. Love that. Mm -hmm. What do you want to learn more about? I think I want to learn more about people. Um, I think most of us, that we all want to do good and we want to feel happy, but we have problem communicating our feelings. A lot of times there's a lot of misunderstanding. So for me, as um, a continued education, I wanted to learn more about understanding people and communication, communicating Mm. to each other. Describe the future in one word. So the future is definitely, as I feel it, um, is evolving quickly. All right. Last exercise. Fill in the blank. Blank like a girl. I would say think like a girl. I feel being women that we had advantage that um, we focus more on purpose, on relationship. But we are also really smart, um, figure technology out, figure science out. So our edge will be bringing the more human side of things, the soft side of things. Mm-hmm. So thinking like a girl is a great thing. Amen. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. This is great. Ashley, you have been amazing and a breadth of knowledge. I'm so excited for the future of Mojo Vision and the innovative things that you're going to help bring out in this new product. And I can't wait to to see it come to fruition. Absolutely. Me too. And how can people um, find out more about Mojo Vision and follow your journey and, and reach out if they have questions? We do have a very good website. That's mojo.vision. So we have um, a lot of information on there and it's get updated every week. Fantastic. Do you have a LinkedIn or any type of social media that you engage with that people can uh, look you up on? Yes, I do. Yeah, look up Ashley Twan and you can find my LinkedIn profile. Perfect. And that's Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y, last name T as in Tom, U-A and as in Nancy, Ashley Twan. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And we hope that you'll come and visit us again and give us more updates. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Keep doing your wonderful work. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.WeGetRealAF.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. 
We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.